Welcome to Music History Monday for June 6, 2022. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Siegfried Wagner. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the birth of Richard Wagner's son Siegfried Wagner on June 6, 1869, 163 years ago today, in Lucerne, Switzerland. Like the sons of so many great men groomed to follow in their father's footsteps, he could never hope to measure up to or escape from his father's shadow. Cliché. We contemplate for a moment this thing called a cliché. Strictly defined, a cliché is an element of an artistic work, saying, or idea that has become so overused to the point of losing its original meaning or effect, even to the point of being trite or irritating, especially when at some earlier time it was considered meaningful or novel. Granted, but clichés didn't become the tiresome, oft-repeated, overused devices that, by definition, they are, without carrying within them a kernel of truth. Admittedly, some clichés express stereotypes that may or may not be true, but the vast majority of them are analogies that do indeed express truisms. In fact, when it comes to expressing a truism succinctly, nothing succeeds more quickly than a cliché. For example, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now, parenthetically, some folks would tell us that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree is an idiom, but they'd be wrong. An idiom is figurative, a phrase that cannot be literally understood. For example, getting cold feet or I smell a rat. However, overuse an idiom and it will become a cliché. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Long before we understood the science of genetic inheritance, we understood the existence of the commonalities between parents and their children, physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual commonalities. The apple, an offspring, doesn't fall far from the tree, the parents. Here's another cliché, like father, like son, or like mother, like daughter. Mothers and daughters, fathers and sons. On one hand, as teenagers, we spend no small percentage of our time rejecting our parents as we seek to define ourselves as independent, self-aware pre-adults. But heaven help us. We can no more escape our parents' influence than we can our own shadows. Now, speaking of fathers and sons, in the olden days, before the mid-19th century, give or take, it was a given that lower working class and middle class sons 
particularly first sons, would follow in their father's trades, for which they were groomed from the earliest age. Farmers begat farmers. Blacksmiths begat blacksmiths. Merchants begat merchants, and so forth. Despite this patrilinear profession track, sheer talent often demanded that a gifted child receive a musical education. This was the case for George Frederick Handel, 1685 to 1759, whose father was an eminent barber surgeon. Yet yeah, one wonders in which profession he was the most eminent. It was the case for Joseph Haydn, 1732-1809, whose father was a wheelwright, for Franz Schubert, 1797-1828, and Frédéric Chopin, 1810-1849, whose fathers were schoolteachers, for Robert Schumann, whose father was a bookseller and writer, and for Antonin Dvorak, whose father was a butcher. Yeah, young Dvorak himself served as a butcher's apprentice until the age of 13. However, the list of sons and a daughter who followed their fathers into musical careers is a long and impressive one. Johann Sebastian Bach's father, Johann Ambrosius Bach, was a professional musician. And let us not forget that Sebastian Bach's sons, Wilhelm Friedmann, Carl Philipp Emanuel, Johann Christian Friedrich, and Johann Christian were at least as famous in their own lifetimes as Sebastian Bach was in his. Antonio Vivaldi's father, Giovanni Battista Vivaldi, was a professional musician, as was Domenico Scarlatti's father, Alessandro, as was Wolfgang Mozart's father, Leopold, as was Ludwig van Beethoven's father, Johann, Johann Nepomuk Hummel's father, Johannes, Joachino Rossini's father, Giuseppe, Franz Liszt's father, Adam, Clara Wieck Schumann's father, Friedrich Wieck, Johannes Brahms's father, Jakob, Richard Strauss's father, Franz, Charles Ives's father, Edward, Giacomo Puccini's father, Michele, and Igor Stravinsky's father, Theodore. Now, in all the cases just listed, excepting Sebastian Bach's four musical sons, the offspring outdid their fathers, which is the principal reason why we still remember these fathers today. I mean, for example, Johann van Beethoven, Ludwig's father, was a forgotten man even in his own lifetime and would never be remembered today if not for his son. Which brings us, sadly, we suppose, to the opposite, to musical children, apples, who didn't fall quite close enough to the tree, who just could not measure up to dad. Musical children, that had all the advantages and status their surnames brought to them, but not the requisite talent to be able to live up to those names. For example, Franz Xaver Mozart, 1791 to 1844, who was the subject of my Music History Monday post on July 26, 2021. He received a superb music education from Viennese masters who taught him for free out of respect for his deceased father. Those teachers included Antonio Salieri, Johann Nepomuk Hummel, 
Andreas Stryker, and Johann Jörg Albrechtsberger. And for our information, Salieri and Albrechtsberger were as well Beethoven's teachers, and Hummel and Stryker were as well Beethoven's friends. But as was so callously pointed out in an early review of Franz Xaver Mozart's piano playing in the prestigious Allgemeine Musikalische Zeitung, quote, May he never forget that although the name Mozart currently grants him some indulgence, it will place great demands on him later on, unquote. Oh, truer words were never written. Despite the flattery he heard from the poseurs around him, Franz Xaver Mozart understood that it was his last name, Mozart, that opened doors to him, and not Franz Xaver. Unlike his father, who harbored virtually no self-doubt, Franz Xaver was saddled with a name he could not live up to, and consequently given to self-deprecation and tremendous self-doubt. I cannot imagine that that would be different for any one of us. Who among us could live up to such a father? Then there's the case of Sulima Stravinsky, 1910-1994. With understatement bordering on the comic, Wikipedia begins its article on this second son and third child of Igor Stravinsky with these words, quote, Sviatoslav Sulima Stravinsky was a Swiss-American pianist, composer, and musicologist of Russian, Polish, and Ukrainian descent. As a pianist, he was considered an important interpreter of the works of his father, Igor Stravinsky. But as a composer, he was overshadowed by his father, unquote. Uh, yeah, do you think? Sulima Stravinsky led a relatively quiet professional life, serving as a professor of piano at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign for 28 years, from 1950 to 1978. In the end, his surname was almost certainly more of a burden than an asset, creating heightened expectations he simply could not fulfill. Which brings us to the opera composer and conductor Siegfried Helfrich Richard Wagner, who was born on this day in 1869. The youngest of Richard Wagner and Cosima Liszt von Bülow Wagner's three children and the only son, and the grandson of Franz Liszt, Siegfried's genetic makeup, his name, and his growing up in the lap of luxury, every advantage for our little princeling upbringing, would destine him for either great things or not so great things. We'll have to opt for the latter, not so great. It's not that he was without talent. On the contrary, like Franz Mozart before him and Sulima Stravinsky after, Siegfried Wagner was a talented and well-trained musician. He composed 13 operas in the 22 years between 1898 and 1920, between the ages of 29 and 51, and fragments of five others. For our information, like his father, Siegfried Wagner wrote his own libretti, 
He composed a variety of other vocal and instrumental works, including a violin concerto in 1915 and a symphony in C major, completed in 1925 and revised in 1927. As a conductor and as the director of the Bayreuth Festival from 1908 to 1930, Siegfried conducted nine complete ring cycles as well as all of his father's stage works except the three earliest, Die Fien, Das Liebesverbot, and Rienzi. These would appear to be the accomplishments of a high-end professional musician. Yet not a single one of Siegfried's many works even approached the repertoire, yet managed to enter it. However, even if Siegfried Wagner wasn't anywhere close to being the composer his father was, he did manage to inherit his father's and his mother's singular narcissism and anti-Semitism. As far as Siegfried Wagner was concerned, the reason behind his failure as a composer was obvious. It was the fault of the Jews. In a letter written on March 15, 1929, the 60-year-old Siegfried explained his lack of success as a composer this way, quote, oh, well, I am not a Jew. I'm no half-breed, and I'm not married to a Jewess. There's no room for such people, and I'm inspired to write real tunes, which is forbidden. It's a pleasure to be German, ugh, unquote. Cosima Wagner's biographer, Oliver Hilmes, the book is Cosima Wagner, The Lady of Bayreuth, Yale University Press, 2010, tells this story about a conducting and fundraising tour Siegfried took to the United States in 1924. Quote, The American press's description of Siegfried as his father's son was involuntarily comical. Music lovers were interested in Siegfried only to the extent that he was Wagner's son and had little time for his own compositions. But Siegfried's behavior was also deeply undiplomatic. Most potential donors were Jewish, and yet it was precisely these people that Siegfried antagonized with all his public anti-Semitic tirades. A reporter for the Berliner Tagblatt, the Berlin Daily Newspaper, could hardly believe his ears when Siegfried, attending a banquet in New York, began to revile Jewish artists such as the conductor Bruno Walter. The wallets of America's patrons remained resolutely closed thereafter, and the tour ended in fiscal disaster." Unquote. Yes, in this, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Like father, like son. Born when his father, Richard Wagner, 1813 to 1883, was 56, and his mother, Cosima, 1837 to 1930, was 32, Siegfried was a spoiled and pampered mommy's boy who nevertheless often drove his mother crazy. For example, the following diary entry was written by Cosima on July 22, 1878, when Siegfried, nicknamed Fidi, was nine years old. Quote, At lunch, a dismal occurrence, Fidi behaves 
badly towards his father. The dreadful thought that he might prove unworthy of him takes possession of me. And this thought, instead of being turned against myself in resigned acknowledgement of original sin, turns inside me against my child. And I hit him so violently that it causes bruises. No words, not even my sobs, can express the horror I feel." Unquote. We can only wonder whether Cosima's horror was over Siegfried's alleged unworthiness or her having struck him. But nothing upset Cosima Wagner more than her son Siegfried's homosexuality. It wasn't just the perceived criminal perversity of Siegfried's sexuality that so distressed her, but her fear that he would not father an heir to the Wagner dynasty. With increasing desperation, she begged him to marry, but Siegfried refused. Well, current events proved decisive. In what was called the Eulenburg Affair, a journalist named Maximilian Harden outed a number of high-ranking German officials, including Kaiser Wilhelm II's close friend, Philip, Prince of Eulenburg, and General Kuno, Count von Moltke. Considered today to be the biggest domestic scandal to ever rock Imperial Germany, homosexuals across Germany dove deeper into the closet and or married. For the 46-year-old Siegfried Wagner, it was both. He was married off to an 18-year-old English woman, girl, named Winifred Williams Kindworth, 1897 to 1980, in 1915. In quick succession, Winifred gave birth to four children, two boys and two girls, assuring the Wagnerian succession. However, any hopes that marriage and children would somehow cure Siegfried of his homosexuality were unrealistic pipe dreams, and he continued to be what he was born to be for the remainder of his life. Uh, the English-born Winifred Wagner, Siegfried's wife, would turn out to be a real piece of work. Taking over the Bayreuth Festival after Siegfried's death in 1930, she became a close friend and confidant of Adolf Hitler, who she called Wolf and a diehard supporter of the Third Reich. So close did Winifred and Adolf become that in 1933, the year Hitler and the Nazis came to power in Germany, there were rumors of their impending marriage. In 1945, a denazification court banned her from the Bayreuth Festival, the leadership of which passed to her sons, Wieland and Wolfgang. She remained an unrepentant fascist to the end. The Wagner family has kept her 20-year correspondence with Hitler locked away and unseen. So likely explosive are its contents. We leave the final word on Siegfried Wagner to Cosima Wagner's biographer, Oliver Hilms. Quote, Siegfried Wagner was essentially a tragic figure. Cosima projected immoderately high hopes on him. The yawning gulf between his family's expectations 
and his own private needs and sexual orientation left its mark on the whole of his life. He was simply not cut out to be a hero. In short, he did not have it in him to be the master's son." Unquote. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.